Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network. I just want to let you know that our sponsor, Harry Tarantula, is looking for people who do comics in Canada for signings, events, and Q&As. So if you do a comic, they want to hear from you. They're located at 6979 Young Street, and you can give them a call at 647-430-1263. We're looking for people like our past guests, Ramon Perez, Marcus Toe, Kelman Andrasovsky, Ricky Lima, Megan Carter, Hope Nicholson. If you do a comic, they want you. Email them at us at harryt.com or call them again at 647-430-1263 and ask for Leon or Jeremy and tell them Aaron sent you. Listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host, Aaron Broverman. Hey, fanboys and fangirls, welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. You probably found us on the Never Sleeps Network at neversleepsnetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast needs met. Thank you all for listening, and don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Speech Bubble Pod. Today we have Gibson Quarter. He's one of the stalwart artists at the Raid Studio. <laughs> uh, he works on Undertow Comics, The Organ Grinder, which is his own creation. He's also uh, into Canadian comics. He's doing a few interiors and covers for Aurora Man, which is sort of like a Canadian tribute to Starman, if you want to uh, get technical about it. Gibson, how are you? Nice good. to have you in. Thanks, man. Thanks. I'm good. I'm doing well. You guys are on a lot of networks, man. You listed that list of where they can hear this thing. That's a lot of places. Yeah, man. It's once you have an RSS feed, you can basically Look port it wherever day. you want, right? People be hearing this all over. Exactly. I will correct you on one thing. I didn't create the organ grinder. I'm part of it. Um, oh, okay. It's with a company in America and a gentleman named Luke Donkersloot, who's the writer. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, we're both kind of co-owners of that property. Oh, so you, you're, you do the art on it, though? Yeah, yeah. I'm strictly okay. the art. I, it's okay. a demented, messed up, awesome story. I couldn't think of, <laughs> of something like that myself, but I'm happy to draw it because I, I really like the story. That's pretty awesome. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So before we get into your work, I always sort of start right at the beginning, like sure. your early life. Uh, where were you born? Is Gibson Quarter your real name? Ah, uh, well, there you go. Okay, so I'll tackle a couple of those questions. Okay. I was born in Belleville. Um, I got started. I've drawn for a long time, quite a long time. It's what I like to do all the way through um, through high school, through university. I had a massive comic collection. I went to university, and and a lot of people on this podcast that listen to this probably won't forgive me, but I had like almost an entire run of X Men, all the Burn Terry and all that good stuff and I sold it to go to more bars and chase women <laughs> and I remember I got a terrible price for it but I was a crazy um, university student that didn't have a lot of cash and regretted it every day since so I took a little break and then got back into drawing and I guess the story of how kind of I got into into comics revolves around Frank Quitely and we'll get into that in a minute in Scotland because for some reason that's kind of how I got in and it's an interesting story if you haven't heard it wow that's yeah, I, I really want to hear that story. <laughs> so yeah, so Gibson Quarter, that's who you are. That's that's who Correct. you go by, kind of thing. Okay, cool. So yeah, let's get let's get get right, right into it, how it you're into drawing. Back to Frank Quitely. Okay. So I was a, when I did get back into drawing a little bit, and I'm like, wow, this. So I, I finished university and got into like the real world, quote unquote. Got myself the real job and all that stuff, and then really didn't like it, and, and realized that if I didn't give the comic art and comics a try because it was my true love that I'd regret it every day the rest of my life. So I decided, hey, let's do it. And right around that time was when um, The Authority came out. I don't know if you remember The Authority with Warren Ellis. Yeah, Warren Ellis. Yeah, and and, uh, so I guess Mark Millar and Quietly took over and I just love those issues and it really got me jazzed. So around that time I went back and and tried to track down some of his early work and it was with a, a little company in Scotland. Uh, that he'd done like some indie work for quite a while actually um and i i emailed them and said like 
can you just send me whatever uh, Frank Quitely work, any magazine he's ever drawn in, please send it to me. And the guy answered me back the next day and said like, what the hell are you sure? But why? And I, I said, cause I'm a, I'm an artist and I'm a really big fan. And so he said, Oh, can I take a look at your work? And I didn't realize at the time that he was an editor. He was also a gentleman named Jamie Grant who wound up coloring Frank. He's an excellent colorist. Okay. He colored all-star Superman. Wow. Um, so, but this is way back in the day before he got in, into coloring too heavily. So uh, to make a long story short, they see, the very next day after he saw the samples, he said, oh, I really like it. Do you want to draw some of these scripts for us? And Alan Grant had written them. And one of them was The War on Drugs. And which So I took the one that I thought would be an ongoing kind of serial. Because some of them were just one and done little two-page funny gags. And I, there was one that was kind of like the Judge Dredd of that book. And I'm like, hey, if people like it. I can, can keep working and keep getting published. And so that's what I took. And, and it went quite well for me over there for quite a long time. So he sent you everything that Frank Whiteley did, but then you yeah. sent him like samples of your, of your own stuff. Yep. yep. And he offered me a script. I don't, you know, I, I was not ready for prime time, but they helped me a lot. And, uh, and just working at the same company where Frank Whiteley was, I was in an issue where he had drawn and he did some stuff because they were personal friends as well. I found out later. So yeah, it went really well for me. And once you get your first taste of being published as an artist, it's over, man. It's like, it's like crack cocaine. You just want more. You where know? did those samples come from? Like, had you already, you already uh, had yeah, something in your back things, Yeah, they were things I was doing in like Marvel tryout scripts. You remember that big book, the Marvel, you can draw or try and draw this. Yeah. And they were pretty bad looking back on them now. They were pretty ugly. But at the time, they were good enough to get me work. And Alan Grant was writing such clear, like I literally was, because he's a 20-year veteran and an amazing writer of Batman, I just did exactly what he asked for. Like panel one, do this. And I, that's exactly what I did to the best of my ability. I didn't take too much creative license, um, you know, no crazy splash panels. So my storytelling was reasonable enough that, that they liked it. And, uh, and then I got kind of tried to get fancier later. So what was confident. your first work called this, uh, judge dread? Sort um, of so thing. it was the war on drugs and it was in a book called Northern lights with a Z and it was a marijuana comic that was published in Scotland. Nice. Yeah. And Northern lights then became a magazine called wasted Northern lights ran for, I think seven or eight episodes. Uh, and it was really, the production values are great. I love them. I have them. They're really hard to find, but it's got early Frank quietly work in them. Got a couple of my, a couple of my first, uh, things that I, did and they were really cool because their studio in Scotland had um, a couple good artists like Frank and a gentleman named Gary Erskine who I'm not sure if you're familiar with but he's done a ton of work in the industry so they actually had him re-ink my first page I didn't know this till I got the thing sent in the mail because uh, I did like a one-page thing was the first thing that ever got printed and I thought I did a great job. I did the best I could. And when I got it, they had, Gary had re-inked it, but it looked amazing. Like, cause Gary's a pro, right? So some of the mistakes that I had made, uh, it was almost like I penciled it for him, even though I'd inked it, they, he kind of went over it and made it better. And it was colored by Jamie and it looked great. And that was, that was it. I was off to the races. Wow. That's awesome. Did you ever get to tell Frank Whiteley that story? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, he knows. So he and I are friends. I, I've gone, I've been to that studio since I started getting published and I was going over every year or two. I've probably been over there like four or five times. We've done conventions together. Um, I've sat at Monty Ive, one of the big shows, and there was Doug Braithwaite, Gary Erskine, myself, who felt like a total imposter, and then Frank Quitely, you know, sketching at the same table. And people are asking Frank Quitely, because comics over there, they're not quite as, as commercial as over here. It's more about, oh, you're an artist. Can you draw me Dennis the Menace or Dennis the Nasher, as they call him over there? So people were coming up to Frank Quitely as he was on X-Men, asking him to draw like Beano and dandy and and basically like Dennis the Menace and he was doing it and I'm thinking you could you could get him to draw like he's, he's an X-Men artist man but they they think differently over there they're more into like the strips yeah they're more they're, they love those kind of British strips and a lot more kids and it's more it's not like the cult of personality that it is over here sometimes when you have like oh my god this big like Jim Lee's at the show and everyone has these lines up for miles and he only signs for an hour it wasn't really like that over there at least back eight ten years ago they were just small little festivals they called it and it was more about you know you drew with a bunch of guys you got to know each other and then you went and got drunk at the bar after so that that was what it was like over there and and i went over often to to hang with them because i was learning so much they were publishing me and and i was enjoying the hell out of it so so what did you learn from somebody like frank quietly like what did he impart just being in his presence just a lot about the basics of storytelling um how to drop in some shadows how to make things look a little more interesting uh he really did work on you know the storytelling aspect 
so I, there's nothing really uh, that sticks out as like, you know, oh, this was the main thing I learned, but basically just providing the best art to serve the story. Cause if you look at what he's done, his stories and, and the work he's done with Malara and X-Men and that it's just, it's amazing. Cause he helps to tell the story. Well, he doesn't just draw big splash pages that you can sell in the aftermarket, you know, as an artist, he draws pages that serve the story. And that, that kind of stuck with me. Right. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. And he's a super nice guy. And right. he talks like a Scotsman, you know, it's really, really cool. Yeah. So. I I've met him and uh, I think I got him to tell me what his real name is, but I, for, but I forget. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, yeah. he's got a, he's got, that too so that the the funny the funny thing with him there's one time that one of the first times i met him he was talking about how to, he was trying to give me some advice about something or he was telling me about this ghetto and i was like a ghetto what, what's a ghetto like a ghetto no he's like no gibson a ghetto a ghetto and i was like what the hell are you saying man and he finally had to write it out g-i-r-l girl right but with his scottish accent <laughs> it sounded like ghetto and i was like oh girl why don't you freaking say that right <laughs> so that's yeah he's, he's gotten he's a sweetheart that's, that's awesome all. yeah so after getting published in in scotland uh what what happened after that? So what happened after that is I kept getting published over there. Um, we did the Wasted magazine and did some other things. Uh, I then started to get work over here. I think that's right around the time that uh, I got in contact with Luke for Undertow. It's kind of all blurred together, but there was a lot of anthology work. I was just trying to pick up anything that would get published and get out in the market. Uh, and then Luke and I got the organ grinder going and then that became kind of a semi-regular gig. And yeah, just from there, I've done a lot of, I, I guess that's kind of the main thing because people are like, what do you mainly noted for? It would probably be the wasted stuff uh, when the war on drugs, that was pretty big for me for a while. And then it'd be the, the most regular thing I think I do is the organ grinder stories in Undertow. Uh, but there's a lot of little, um, you know, Future Quake magazines, uh, Something Wicked. There's so many other magazines in the UK that I did stories for. And then I got involved over here with Ty Templeton and we did some Holmes Incorporated stuff. And so my work's really kind of scattered out there in a lot of different areas. Yeah. And, and you're one of the only people we've had on that, like, has a lot of stuff that's like international. Yeah. Like, like published in you know, and, and honestly, that that hurts me. Like, I like it. It's great. Um, when I go over there, you know, it, it's it's good for my ego but over here it's tough because they only give me a few comps and all the comic shops are here like oh yeah they kind of hurt you but can i order your books and i'm thinking well you know you can but it's so expensive to ship that stuff over here because a lot of those things weren't in diamond so that's really killed me um it might be a blessing in disguise i don't know because then eventually when stuff comes out with more mainstream people are like holy cow this you know if they like it i look like a developed artist because i've been doing it for 10 years um but they just never knew right yeah <laughs> You know what I mean? So like you go from zero to overnight, you know, hopefully set a success. And then I've been doing it all along. Just no one ever knew. You know so what it's, I mean? yeah, it's sort of hard to sort of sell people on you because yeah, they nobody go, well, knows you. Your work? Yeah. And then I'm like, well, you can't unless you go to this website and you pay tons of shipping. And then, you know, I have whatever I have. I sell at cons quite quickly because I don't have very much of it. I'm fortunate. People like it. Some of my fans and they buy it right away, which is great, but I can't get more of it. So I can only kind of show them my portfolio and talk about this work, but they can't see like read too many stories for me unless they pick up like the organ grinder, which is now in a trade uh, paperback, which helps me a lot. Um, or the raid anthology that's coming out that we'll talk about or, or things like that. And you didn't mean to go in that direction. No, it just sort of what no. happened. Right? It just totally organically kind of went there. And then people did know me over there and I got more work in England and Scotland and it's great. Um, but yeah, it was just, it made it a little tougher over here. So for samples and is stuff it like different that. working with editors and stuff over there? Is there particular like European sensibilities that you have to be aware of? <laughs> I find they make different color choices. The color palettes over there are quite different. Uh, they like a little more, at least on the futuristic stuff, a little more funky landscape, like a little more Judge Dreddish kind of stuff with crazy ass buildings and stuff like that. But no, other than that, it's, it's basically the same. And, and the way we work now, um, like when I wasn't part of the raid studio, it, it's more like you're, you're just at your desk doing the thing and you're answering emails and whether your editors here in Toronto and you're answering an email from Toronto or you're waiting till it comes in overnight from Scotland, it didn't make much difference. You know what I mean? You just communicate back and forth. Um, you know, and it's all scans and you're sending stuff over email. So, 
Right, right. Yeah. Cool. So that's how it went. So how did you get hooked up with Raid and when did that happen? So, how did that happen? Yeah, I don't, how did it happen? Um, so I'm always looking, obviously, to improve myself. And, and uh, I know, I guess I reached a point where I, I worked very traditionally for a long time. And I see all these like uh, Photoshop. There's a lot of good stuff you can do in Manga Studio, which is now Clip Studio. And a lot of those technologies. And they, I think I can see the potential in them, but man, <laughs> they drive me crazy. Like it's really hard. Every now and again, I'll get stuck on something and I'm like, I don't know why this isn't working and I'm doing everything. I'm taking these tutorials. And so I really needed someone to kind of help me in certain areas. And so I decided that I really needed to get more exposure and kind of make myself learn this stuff. And so that was what going to raid was really kind of partially for, for me, as well as expanding my network and, and learning what I could from these guys too. Right. Cool. So yeah. And, and having done that, like over there now, when I'm able to get to the studio, cause we wind up splitting our time. It's not like we all sit there at nine o'clock and go till six or whatever. It's a very dynamic a studio environment for people that don't know is, you know, some people roll in at one and then they go for lunch immediately, but then they stay till like two in the morning. Right. And other guys are there from like 10 till 10 till six or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Some guys work from home. Like Francis will work from home a couple days if he's busy with the kids and then we'll see him kind of thing. So I'm same too. I'm, I'm not always there. Uh, but when I do, you know, it's like you just, you pick up where you left off. So you're splitting your time and you managed to pick up some of the technology stuff that you wanted to learn. And stuff yeah, like that. yeah. So guys like, um, like try, uh, Trivong, Ramon, they've been really helpful because every now and again, when I'm over there, it's like uh, Ian Herring, like, what what the hell's going on? I can't do it. And they're like, oh, you just got to do this one thing. Like, click, click. You got this button turned on. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Because I was, I was going to blow my brains out, right? Like, I, could, I was so frustrated about this stuff. And I'm making myself sound like I'm afraid of computers, which I'm not. But it's just when you don't understand how to use all the technology or you're trying to do what you want and it's not quite letting you, as an artist, that's really frustrating for me. And everyone has to adapt, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. you go from doing it like you know pencil and paper type style and then you have to figure out how to do it like technical technologically yep. i guess well and, and there's a lot of great tools like perspective tools and stuff in there that i really want it that i think can, it's taking my work to the next level and i want to do even more and get better so I, I finally i'm able to do that and experiment because really art's a lot about experimenting and after a while i found i wasn't doing too much of that so i want to get you know obviously try more stuff right that's awesome and, and it's just awesome being in that environment i'm sure we'll, we'll talk further about it but the guys themselves like i've learned so much from just even just by osmosis like you, you know ramon francis scott hepburn has been a godsend for me he's a sweetheart of a guy and he's really helped me or given me some good insight because i'll be working on something and it maybe it's not quite working right i'll just say hey guys can you what do you think of this and then they'll go oh why don't you try this or that might you might want to change this thing over here and instantly it's like oh fuck that's a really good idea right and and i would have struggled with that for an hour or two maybe figured it out on my own but probably not uh, but they can look at it and just instantly go, Hey, why don't you try this? And then it's like a little light bulb goes off and it's always a good idea. Right. So. Right. And it's just nice to have people around when you're working. Yeah, stuff. that's true too. It's kind of isolating. It when is. You're an and that's the other thing, right? Like when you're working on your own for a long time and then we're all artists and I think we like that to some extent because we're all, you know, you, you don't sit and decide to have a career where you sit at your desk for, you know, 10 hours a day drawing if, if you like being super social, but it does get isolating and it's good to have other groups to go to lunch with or to bounce ideas off of and that kind of thing. So Right, right. Yeah. You know, there were things like the Superman Club and things like that that back in the day that helped people sort of like talk about superheroes and I know like a lot of the raid guys go comic shopping every so often. Yeah, yeah, as a group as a group and stuff. Yeah. yeah, that was easier when the Paradise was there, but yeah, for yeah, sure. Totally. Yeah, and, and it's it's also good because in a, you know conventions we we have uh, our own little thing and we're able to help each other and and like even at TCAF last year we had a good setup where we're kind of doing shifts selling the books and different people can sign and, and it's just there's a lot of advantages in having you know a corralled creative force and I'm I'm just honored to be part of it and it's super diverse like for those people that don't know like Raid has a lot of guys. Uh, that we've actually had on past episodes. Uh, Marcus Toe, Ramon Perez, Scott Hepburn, Kalman Andrushovsky. Yep. They're all kind of working in, in mainstream comics, but they're all doing like vastly different things. They have different styles. Um, so it's really the way that the studio is structured, you have you have very different people oh, to yeah. learn from. Yeah, yeah always, absolutely. I mean, Ian Herring's a great colorist. And you got Irma, and I mean, I'm, I'm missing so many people, but 
yeah, we, everyone's, everyone's quite different, but we all have a unique kind of creative energy. And, and one of the things that I, I was always in, like, I was fucking intimidated, pardon my language when I walked in there, because I'm like, this is Ramon and Francis and Scotty and all these guys and, and Marcus. And I'm just like this guy that's done a few things over in Europe, but they don't have any egos. They're very cool. And, um, everyone's different. They find validity in all the different work. Cause we have like cartoony guys, realistic guys. Uh, so once I got over my own personal intimidation and was able to kind of uh, get out there a little bit more, it's, it's been super helpful. And to get in with raid, like, do you have to be invited or um, like, I know that Ramon is sort of the fault, like the, he he's sort our, of, he's our dad. He's like the dad. <laughs> he, he sort of runs the studio yeah. and makes sure everyone's so doing everything in the studio. Or, or maybe the mother hen. I don't know what you want to call yeah, him. But, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, he's, he's a great guy. He does a, the yeoman's amount of work for very little credit. So he, uh, I'll give him a little shout out here because trying to corral artists to do anything on time is very difficult. Uh, you know, so he, he's always kind of keeping people focused and, and, and he's really good at that. Um, so I'm trying to remember how I quote unquote got in. I don't think it's not like there's any secret initiation or anything like that, but I had, I think expressed an interest or I can't remember. I think we've talked about it at one fan expo and, uh, cause I, after a while, I mean, you see these guys, right? Just like you at the cons and stuff and fan expo over the years, you see the same people right. and, uh, you talk to them and you know them and you have a beer afterwards and you know, you network with them and stuff. And right around that time, I think, they had a spot open up and I wasn't quite ready, but I said, sure. Like I, I I'll join. I'm not ready to start. I'm not going to be able to show up very much, but absolutely, you know, count me in. And, and then I'm trying to, I think someone had left and maybe Carrie Nord went back to Montreal or something like that. Um, but I, I found, came in, got a good spot. I actually sit right across from Scott Hepburn, which is kind of cool. Cause I literally, he and I you know, sit there and shoot the shit sometimes when we're, when we're drawing. And, um, yeah. So then initially I didn't go in a lot. And as I said, I was pretty intimidated by these guys. And since then I've, I've tried to get in a lot more and, uh, it's been super helpful. I've been kind of able to, to get out and, and talk to them a little more. And, and now I, I find myself a functioning member of raid as it were. And from what I know, like you guys all just contribute to like the rent of the studio. <laughs> There's no requirement as to like, you have to be here a certain number of days or anything like that. It's a very loose environment and I wasn't sure what to expect. So, so to the people that are kind of like, well, what's it like? Uh, I'm at, it's almost like a, like a mini fraternity or something of just people. We all do the same thing. Um, sometimes when editors call, like one of the, one of the initial things I think I was able to do was when I got the gig with um, dead canary comics doing the Frogman thing, Shortly after I started turning in pages, one of the editors over there, they contacted me and said, Hey, do you know anyone can do colors? Cause we've got, you know, some things we need colored. And, and I, at that point, Greg Menzi was in the studio. So I said, Hey, you know, like literally just finish reading the email, stick your head up and go, does anyone know a good colorist that's available that, that might, you know, be able to work. And Greg who's sitting in the studio stuck up his hand and say, Hey man, I, I could probably do it. And, and knowing his work and, and what he did, I mean, obviously take a look at the samples and it, it make it sure that like. I can't promise I'm not vouching for anybody, but here's an, a talented individual that we know that we work with, uh, you know, you make the call. So introducing people to opportunities and there, I've seen that time and time again, um, from Ramon or other artists when they're not busy enough. So that, that's a benefit of the studio. As yeah. Well. Like if you look closely, like there are people doing like backup stories in captain Kanak or like yeah. p- other members of the studio, like yeah. Marcus, yeah. Um, Marcus and Scott. And, um, I, I know Mike Ruth, well, Mike's not part of the studio, but Ruth did one. I did one too, but it never saw published because each chapter has, there's there's a bunch of work that may or may not come out from chapter house on the captain canuck front but right. anthony falcone who's a writer there works uh for chapter house i mean you mentioned calman already yeah. uh anthony i got a thing coming out uh actually anthony wrote the story the short story that i drew in the raid anthology and it was inked by ramon so it looks really really sweet it, it, he made a few ramon stylistic changes that really made it a lot stronger so it looks like a baby that's 30 percent ramon and 70 percent and quarter so it's kind of it's kind of cool i hope people like it that's an interesting hybrid and the raid anthology is really exciting because the last time uh i remember raid putting out an anthology it was like the rumble royale with the original members of raid which was a long time ago yeah so how did the anthology come to be 
and uh, who sort of proposed it and wanted to do it, and why did you guys want to do um, it? I think there's always been talk about it, but because initially we're we're doing this on our own, right? So there was some talk, or I think there was some interest from other publishers, uh, and they're saying, hey, why don't we put an anthology with some of you guys? Because some of them have like super powerful social networks, right? Like Francis and Ramon and all that um, that could help promote it. And I think Ramon very wisely, and we talked about this. We have studio meetings like but once a month we all show up and talk about things and he said why don't we marshal our own powers for good you know what i mean like we could do this on our own we have tons of writers we have colorists we got artists we could put out a real quality project and that was i think a dream that he'd had to really make an upscale thing that we could be super almost like a european art book you know how the, how the comics over there are a little different and they're, they're kind of thought of maybe in a higher category than monthly floppies. So it's not even a comic book that's coming out. It's like an anthology. I believe it's square bound. Uh, it's more like a book, but different sizing. It's not a comic sized book. Um, so a lot of neat things about the anthology and people were into it and it's a ton of work, of course, up front. Um, and there's a financial risk involved for those of us at the studio too, right? Cause we're, you know, hoping that they sell well, but you never know until, you know, you put a new thing out in the world. Uh, I think it's going to be a big hit. I think because I've seen it, it's really good. <laughs> I've seen a little bit of it too, because I'm a subscriber to NerdBlock and okay. you guys put out a little sample. Yeah, that was a little sampler in, in one. For sure. Were you a surprise? Is NerdBlock still around? NerdBlock is still around. Okay, good. It's, not, it's, uh, it's just that sometimes I fade in and out. Like I subscribe for a few months okay. and then I stop and then I come back and that kind All of right. thing. Very good. Um, yeah, no, there was like a little primer or like a little teaser and we had that for, I think, the March show as well here in Toronto. Uh, we were giving them out to some folks. So, yeah, it, it that was more of a quote-unquote comic. But the, the the anthology will be pretty neat. It should be out um, at Fan Expo in a couple of weeks. So, Yeah, that's awesome. We're, we're recording this in, like, mid-August. Yeah, so, yeah, so it should be out in two or three weeks. Or yeah, whatever, yeah. Whatever the show is. Uh, what is your story in the anthology? Can so, you give us a little preview? Sure, yeah. I, well, it's, it's a thing. So, Anthony Falcone is a writer. Um he does a lot of good stuff, Northgard and some other things with Chapter House. And he's got some actual novels. He's a very talented fella. He's part of the studio. And he and I have been talking about it. And we have uh, a, a bunch of pages done for, uh, as he, he, he pitched it. And like, literally, you know, that, that, where, that movie where you had me at Hello? He said, it's like, I'd like to draw a thing about like the UFC in space. And I was like, oh man, I am so there. I don't even need, that's it. That's <laughs> your pitch right there. Stop. I'll, I'll take it. Uh, I said, I'll draw that, man. And uh, he's like, okay, cool. So we then kind of developed the concept. We were going to release it as like a little preview issue, um, I think in the spring, but for whatever reason, it didn't quite happen. Probably it might've been because I was too slow. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think I had it ready, but we decided, well, Hey, let's hang on to it. Let's, you know, wait, maybe we totally have a proper comic or we're talking about maybe even putting it out online, you know, as, as a web comic and then collecting it later. Uh, so we can get ahead of it. Uh, but anyways, um, so we have a, a number of pages done for that. Uh, it's called quid pro quo is technically what it's called. And, uh, when this anthology came about, initially we we're going to stick them in to that, uh, some of the pages that are completed, but then Ramon said, look, why don't we do a little bit shorter of an intro? Cause I guess there, I mean, you think about it, there was about eight or 10 artists. And if we're all trying to do 10 or 12 pages each, it's going to be a massive volume uh, as it is. I think it's a hundred and some odd pages already. So we had to really be Ramon had to guard the page count pretty intensely. So we got a little small intro. I think it's four or five pages um, of the quid pro quo story that will uh, is in the anthology up front. So that's what people will read uh, when it comes out th th that I drew. And then we have more coming a little later on. So cool. Watch this face. <laughs> so people people go read it in the anthology. If they if they dig quid pro quo, they might see an ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't even think we brand it as quid pro quo. I think it's just it's just a little story. But the, there's some stuff going on that that you'll probably see a lot more of a little later on. And that's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. And that'll be the first appearance. So there you go. Cool. Yet so another reason to pick it up. So tell me about uh, Undertow and mm -hmm. uh, your involvement with the organ grinder and how yeah. how that came about. Sure, that came about. Because um, I wound up just randomly. Do you remember digital webbing? I'm not even sure if digital webbing is still around. No, what's that? It's, it's a website that used to kind of help connect artists and writers and things like that. So I met like a Divian art sort of thing. Yeah, okay. yeah. Only only more like message boardy, and it's like, hey, I need a writer. Hey, I need an artist. You know, it's usually the artist that people are looking for. Uh, I know I'll pay this much per page and that kind of thing. Right. So I was on that, and and there was an I don't know. Some, I I believe it was Divian art, anyways, or digital webbing. Pardon me. And it came up that, oh, you know, I'm looking for an artist. So I sent over some stuff to this fellow 
and heard back rather promptly they were doing an anthology um and, and we decided to do this little supernatural western he sent me a script that i really liked uh and i kind of drew it and then uh got paid for it and it never like a lot of things in small press just never got published didn't happen um so fast forward a little while to out of the blue the writer i think five years later or six years later said oh my god like i see you've done really well over in the uk and and you know how you been and uh, by the way i really regret not publishing this i really liked it and it turns out he was just a writer for another anthology that never happened and he said look let's publish it ourselves i'm gonna i want to get this out there i'm gonna you know resurrect some of these things because he had written a lot of good stories um so i took a look at the art and it was it was <laughs> it scared me right because it was five years six years ago so i said look as long as I can re-ink it and, and fix it up a little bit, for sure, man, I'd love to. So did that. Um, it came out, and it's been. We've literally been going about one a year, something like that, since then. So there's, I think, seven issues, six issues. They were collected. So the the comic itself is called Undertow, but I draw the organ grinder segments. So he's had Adam Gorham and a number of other folks drawing drawing parts of it. I think Fred Kennedy, Fearless Fred's draw, written some stuff in the recent issues. So mm -hmm. it's a really cool anthology and we just recently collected uh the organ grinder trade paperback which kind of collects everything we've done so far and i'm working on the next issue for we release them almost every year in seattle at emerald city that's where he's from he's a, a seattle-based guy and that's where his comic company is called seventh wave publishing cool so, that's yeah, awesome. so if you google seventh wave publishing or check my links on my social media or whatever you'll find how to get there it's on amazon it's on uh you can order it from the website you can get it on comiXology all that good stuff cool and uh, the organ grinder seems like a really off the wall cool yeah. concept it's wicked so basically what it is it's a one-armed gun for a fighter with a chain smoking monkey sidekick and uh, a haunted organ he's an organ grinder and the organ is possessed by a spirit that makes him do uh, kill a lot of people and we're not quite sure why but we're slowly learning and why he's cursed with this this spirit nice and so without giving too much away i don't even know how it's going to end i have a vague idea he hasn't told me but it's been it's kind of unlike anything you've you've read before which is kind of why i like it it's it's a very unique story um you know if you're a fan of like you know hell on wheels and that kind of thing it's the you know, westerns in general i think you'd kind of like it it meets like vaudeville meets and circus. or something like that yeah yeah, yeah. there's crazy stuff and chain smoking monkeys man i mean how are you gonna go wrong right yeah the monkey the monkey isn't like anthropomorphic like it's an actual it's like an actual no, monkey, that, monkey man. The, yeah. the, the, yeah. like that smokes yeah. like mr teeny from yeah, there the you Simpsons. go right yeah kind of like that that's awesome yeah he uh i think they're very first line is he was smoking before i met him so don't judge me or something like that is what the organ grinder says when he picks up a cigarette in the very first issue so yeah no i would totally read a trigger the back of that that's awesome i'll get you one for sure it's so cool uh, so this Frogman thing that you're doing, what is that? Um, oh yeah, so Frogman. Then I guess just recently, la last year maybe, um, it was like a 32 page. Uh, they did so that, again. Always comes back to the UK with Gibson Quarter. Um, some folks in the UK reached out to me and they, they knew me from my work over there. And they have a real cool company called uh, Dead Canary Comics. And Dead Canary Comics had done a bunch of things um, and some real quality titles because they sent me an idea of what what they've published their work as and i really liked it and one of them was frogman so frogman was um uh, they asked me to draw the third issue. It was like a three-issue arc. And the first one was drawn by the guy who wrote it. Second one was drawn by, I think, John Aggs, who's a, a, a well-known guy over in the UK, a well-known artist. And then they asked me to draw the third one, The Death of Frogman. So, and then mm -hmm. they collected them all into trade. So that was, I think, 32 pages that I did last year. And it was, it was a ton of fun. It, it's, I guess, the easiest way to describe it is like, think of Deadpool, only dirtier with more sex. And the guy has a frog's head. And that's kind of that's how you get... That's Frogman for you right Crazy. there. Yeah, it's, I it's, was thinking it's either an actual Frogman or it's like a scuba diver, like Frogman. Yeah, no, it's kind of like an actual man that has a frog's head. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, I don't know. I, what can I say? You got to read it to figure it out. But, and yeah, it's the, I draw the death of Frogman. So there you go. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So doing all this like stuff in Europe and that kind of thing, I'm sure you're like really exposed to like European comics and things like that too. A fair bit. Yeah. 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 So for the people who are sort of, they don't know, they don't know about Lambique and like those places mm -hmm. like that. 
tell me a little bit about European comics in the context of American comics and like what the differences are um, and stuff well, like that. I don't know. I mean, I think I touched on it briefly, Aaron, that like they seem to take it more seriously. Right. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like over, over here we have the floppies and comics are for kids and there's still that kind of that belief maybe uh, across society. But over there they have like humanoids publishing and all these really upscale publishers and they do a lot of solid work. And it's almost like, you know, if you're a comic book artist, you're, you're held in esteem like J.K. Rowling or Stephen King. Like you're, you're writing novels or you're drawing, you know, graphic novels, not comics, right? Yeah. Um, so they seem to be, they, they, they seem to spend more money on production values and they wait a lot longer. They hire artists and give them more time has been my, what I found, uh, cause they want to see the good work and they expect it. So cool. So, so that you gives get, you some breathing room oh, when yeah. you're working. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not super fast. I'll be honest. So yeah, I know it does. Um, that you can be proud to be a, a comic book artist, quote unquote over there. And, and not that I'm not here, of course, but they seem to really hold them in esteem and, and love like, you know, the hair gay and Tintin and even the, the lower stuff. They just, comics are thought of differently a little bit over there. Yeah. Like things like, uh, Valerian in the city of a thousand planets. Yeah, so yeah, originally right? it was a European comic, right? Yeah. Yep. No, a lot of that good stuff. A lot of, I think people would be surprised that would start over in the UK and, and over in Europe, yeah. but yeah, they just have higher production values that wait a lot longer. They, they, I think they keep them in print a lot more, which we're starting to do now too. So comics here, I think used to be, you know, Oh, get Spider-Man one, you know, 121, one, two, two, three, 24, 25. They would be monthly things that you'd read and quickly throw away. Now they're planning like four or five issue arcs. They're making sure they got a trade. They're doing hard covers to stay on the, you know, in chapters and all the bookstores for a lot longer. Right. Right because they're realizing that like monthly people drop off yeah. a little bit but everybody wants the graphic novel to catch up they want the full story yeah. they don't want to have to wait from month for to sure. month and i believe they've been doing that in over in the uk for a lot longer like a lot of these stories that you were referenced even that, that they've been out there for a long time like the valerian stuff and that and they just people just keep buying them and they go back and they you know reread them and stuff so right right that's like, what i believe i could be completely wrong i mean but that's what i've noticed and believe that the difference is and it seems like more high art so maybe well, that's yeah, why you get the yeah. respect because it's it's more like a high art sort of thing. So that's like, what we're trying to do, I think, with the Raid Anthology too. Yeah, you keep it on the shelf longer, and it's more like uh, it's not just a quick, you know, fun read. It's it's a great read, but it's more of a high art kind of thing. Right, and you can use sort of the the notoriety of people like Francis and Ramon to sort well, of get hurt. people into it. You know? <laughs> it sure doesn't hurt. Yeah, cool. I'm, I'm still kind of pinching myself. It's like, oh, I'm in a, a comic with Scott Hepburn and Francis and Ramon, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's awesome. And then hopefully that'll, it'll um, go well. I, I've seen it. I think it's amazing. And I think people really like it. So that's awesome. So how do you think about your career now? Like, where do you want to go from here? Do you have aspirations to do American comics or do you like how it's going with the um, European I'm, stuff? I'm happy with how it's going, but yeah, I'd love to do American comics because for whatever reason, I've just, I've never been published by Marvel or DC and when when people come running up to you at cons and and it happened to me just recently and it's it's funny to me now it used to bother me but now um they go oh, oh have you worked for marvel and you're at artist alley and you go oh, actually no i i haven't but I, i've done this and then they you can see them they're kind of face fall and they just go oh okay and then they walk away like like somehow my oh, heart doesn't no. matter because yeah it does happen right it's like well people cannot work for marvel and still do good work and so that's uh, to, in order just to get rid of that stigma alone i'd love to say yeah i had a cover published or yeah i did this short backup or whatever uh, so you, you never know that it, yeah it, you want like sort of an entry point i guess i i you do but i'm not near as worried about it now um because i, I used to be killing myself think oh this minute i'm published, then i'm going to be an artist then i'm really then i've made it and I don't believe that anymore um, because I remember I had a, a really good chat with an editor, a Marvel editor, about three years or four years ago at Fan Expo. And, and he said, you know, your stuff's great. I showed him all my war on drugs stuff and the European things. And um, and he it was a Marvel editor, a big guy that, that you would know. And he said, you know what, man, like I really like it, but I got 80 guys like you that can draw just as well. And, uh, he goes, what you need to do is you need to go almost get famous somewhere else and then we'll find you. And I remember thinking like, wow, I was really excited that, yeah, the work's great enough. And he's, he's, I guess, validated it for me, but he's right. It's just like, there's a million actors, there's a million, whatever, as it, you got to do something to stand out. And he pointed at that time to like, like a book like Chew or something, right? With John Lehman and they, that, that was a big success. And then they found him. And so, and I remember thinking like, that kind of sucks, but 
it's also kind of good. Like, yeah, I'm good enough. And, and you see the like Luther Strode and books like that, um, where I think these are artists or creative teams that maybe weren't known before, but right. then they had like a little hit or something over an image that went really, really well for them. And suddenly, you know, everyone comes knocking. So, um, so that's what I'm going to focus on and not be like, well, I'm doing this until Marvel calls. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now it's going to be like, I'm doing this. I'm making it really, really good. I hope people like it. And if it ever, you know, if I, Marvel ever comes knocking, then yeah, we'll talk. And yeah, but it, it is not, the be all end all for me that it used to be you need the hit though you need you need the thing that yeah, well, of course. The yeah, yeah. And you never know where that'll be uh, yeah. you never know like you know who knows right? right um maybe it'll be the stuff that um anthony falcone and i are working on the quid, quid pro quo you never know but I, i'm just gonna keep doing my thing keep honing my craft getting better and we'll see what happens i'm having fun so, right so that that's my career is yeah i'll keep you know knocking on the door and uh, being part of raid that there's a lot more editor knowledge now when uh, these guys know everybody and they all so it's handy for me you know maybe it jumps me up the the view list a little bit but um i'll just keep doing my own thing and we'll see what happens yeah. I'm, I'm happy i'm getting paid for it and doing what i love which is drawing so yeah it's good. and you get to, you get to sit at the table with them so yeah, like yeah. at least there's some uh notoriety by osmosis kind of thing but it still kills me at cons and it happens usually once or twice you know every con they're like do what do you do for marvel oh i'm drawing for marvel oh <laughs> walk away like like you don't exist so it's like oh okay oh, it's tough because you can't it's not like you can get jealous or anything like that or like like you just have to keep doing your thing and yeah. keeping your no, keep your I, head down and stuff like that because you can't blame anyone for no. the direction their careers go but i used to think therefore um i'm not succeeding and i don't think that anymore but for a long time i did um and I've gotten over that. So, and I think it's very freeing <laughs> to be honest with you. Totally. Yeah. You're, you're a bit of an older guy in terms yep. of the people that we normally have yep. uh, on the podcast. So is it different uh, being in comics at this age and like being sort of a more of a veteran type of dude like do you have a different perspective I don't think, so. do you I think? think I'm just as immature as everybody yeah. else <laughs> um, I, you know maybe my I, I don't know actually that's a good question I, I, I don't know how to answer that because maybe you can handle things better it's possible mm-hmm. I mean maybe there's ageism in comics and maybe they're like oh you're too old who knows but I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I look at some of the more successful people that, and admittedly they started earlier, but like Arthur Adams and all these guys, they're not Joe Casada. They're not young, but uh, they're doing great work. So that's kind of what inspires me. Um, right. And I think uh, maybe I'm not uh, as excitable as like a 22 year old. They're like, Oh my God, you know, the, the, um, I, I'm a little more level headed about things and opportunities and, and a little more tactful in, in what I'm taking and what I'm not. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, talking to you, it seems like you're more into the long game. Oh, and for like sure, being patient for sure. And stuff. Yeah, so so I'm not, but, but I think that's part of my charm. <laughs> so I'm not looking for the quick hit, and I'm going to be, you know, all over a book for for two months, and then you flame out or you burn out. I'm just going to keep doing my thing and getting better all the time. So, and I will literally do that for the rest of my life. So that's uh, it is the long game if you think of that. So. And in certain circles, like I'm big in Europe, has a bit of a cachet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I kill in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know, but we'll we'll see. I hey, whatever, right? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, before you. I just want to get a sense of like the type of comics that you're into. Like, what are you reading these days? Sure. What uh, were you into as a kid that made you fall in love with comics? Uh, so I, I was into the Byrne X-Men real hard. Terry Austin, John Byrne. That was my stuff. Uh, Spider-Man a little bit before that. Um, I, I read a lot of stuff now, but I find that I don't read as much mainstream comics as I used to. I really don't. I'm, I'm so because of my situation and being in the industry where I am and, and being part of raid, of course, about anything the raid guys do, you pick up, right? Cause, right. cause you, you, you do, or they have comps lying around and you read it. Uh, but I always try and you have to really, and, and I want people that hear this podcast to understand, uh, you know, downloading all the stuff isn't necessarily good for creators. You need to spend money on books you like and don't always wait for the trade, right? Cause companies see what sells and what doesn't. Uh, if you like something, support it and i'm a real big uh, i I pick up the most random stuff if it's a number one from some like avalon or some new comic company i've never heard of i will buy it right just because i want to see what it's about see the company i want to support their creative team it may or may not be good but i think putting some of your money where your mouth is is creatively like people are trying different things so i want to support that right i'm a guy that works in indie comics as well sometimes so i want to support other indie guys and it seems like there are 
a spate of smaller publishers like there've never been before. Yeah, I, right. Recently, they're coming up all over the place. But that's even what Image was. I remember being in, around in a comic fan when Image first started, and, and it went really well. Admittedly, they had a lot of heavy hitters. But now, there, there's I think there's a couple things happening, Aaron, that some guys are just trying to get the next walking dead. They're like, Hey, let's just put it in a little black and white book and let's see if we can get a shop at the Hollywood. Cause then we'll make the real money. Right. Well, Valiant I'm, seems to be heading in that direction. Valiant, it's sort of, but Valiant books are good. Yeah. They're really good. I, so I'm reading a lot of Valiant. I'll be honest. Yeah. I, I really do. Cause they, they've got, good stories with good art like the new xo that first four issue arc thomas giorello i think is a guy that drew it and matt kint wrote it phenomenal like one of the best things that blew my mind um there's it's just been collected into a trade if you can find it i highly recommend it yeah but even books like there like uh, i i buy purchase not marvel and dc i they're they've gone down a little bit for me i'm not always buying a lot of those books right now the new dc stuff's not too bad marvel unfortunately i'm not buying a lot anymore I just it doesn't interest me as much as some of the other stuff does and i like taking an, a, a chance on new things or new concepts because uh from these smaller companies because a you never know what you'll what'll hit and b i know they're creators like me that need the support so i try and support them right and like places like valiant I, I didn't mean to say that they were like they're bad or anything it's just that they're going after the licenses to try yeah, and yeah, you know, make their are. stuff into yeah. movies and stuff and, like and that of course they should because god knows what they paid for it too because they like xo and they're not creating it from scratch right those those were properties around that they had to purchase from from the original Valiant, i yeah, guess yeah, yeah from shooter and all those guys back in the day right? yeah, yeah so but i think my point is i think they've done an excellent job in in mapping out both good comics like they're not just propping up some crappy little comic to keep the property alive so they can sell a movie they're building a really good universe i believe from what i've seen like the bloodshot stuff and that uh and and they're all by the way we're also trying to get good movie deals so i think that's a smart a smart model plus they have old school comics cachet from when they were yeah, around man. in the 90 in the 90s so people remember that yeah, and go back do. to it you they know do. i really like those uh and i read them recently the old casada ninjacks remember those oh yeah, yeah. they were pretty good totally um, yeah, I'm trying to think a bunch of the other ones. Some of the some of the Jim Shooter stuff was hit or miss for me, but the old Rye was pretty cool, uh, and the new Rye is pretty cool as well. So yeah, and it seems like a lot of the old indie properties from back then are coming back, like Mage, Grendel, yeah. Yeah. things that you remember from those. I'm sure those we'll see days. Nexus out pretty soon yeah. <laughs> if it's not already. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, well, comics. I don't know. Sometimes they're they're almost like. Um, a medium that looks backwards or they're a bit nostalgia, right? Like people mm. love the old, their old captain Canucks and all that. So right. when you launch it, you're riding that wave a little bit and that's cool, right? That's part of it. So that's awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, it's great to talk to you. Um, what, where can people find you online and follow your work? Where can they get your work? I know it's a little tough because yeah, most of it's well, in Europe. I mean, keep an eye. I'm, so I'm doing more stuff. I've done some, I'm not sure if it's going to see the light of day for a while, but I did a little backup for like Chapter House, some Captain Canuck. Um, I've done some Aurora Man. I think I did a cover. I'm doing some more work for them. Yeah, Aurora Man. Let's talk about that. I mean, uh, Aurora Man, it's this like creative team from like Saskatchewan. Yeah, Jeff Burton. He's like a school teacher out there and it's kind of like he looks very similar to the hero and he is is a very nice person um a good man so um he's a writer and and uh he's writing it up i guess he always wanted to be a canadian superhero that is based in humboldt h-u-m-b-o-l-d-t i believe so, which yeah. is an actual place in Alberta, is it? Humboldt, Saskatchewan, I think. Saskatchewan. There you go. Saskatchewan. That's like the third time right? I've done that, and he always corrects me. Yeah, like, no, no, no. It's, it's Saskatchewan. Yes, like, thank you. My my mom is from a little small town in Saskatchewan okay. called Lucky Lake, where yeah. you know one church, one bar, that those types of things. Yeah. So I'm familiar a little there bit with go. Saskatchewan. So right now i've only done a couple covers for them but i'm doing a small interior and, and probably do a little more for them so yeah i mean this is mainly a uh, toronto-based podcast but you know maybe one day when i've uh, finally exercised everybody and interviewed everybody in toronto i'll i'll move Branch on to out. saskatchewan Branch and all these other when they come in here for like you know fan expo yeah yeah, yeah for sure whatever because because i'm a big Starman fan and aurora man is like very much a tribute to Starman. like he's yeah. got the scepter yeah. and i think it's it's his favorite character mm -hmm. jeff burton's favorite character so i really dig it because that that was awesome there you go and it's its own original thing it's not just uh, you know a Starman ripoff it, he's no, he's no. 
he's, quite he's doing a lot of uh, yeah. great original stuff with it. Well, and, and again, going back to my whole thing about support what you want to see, it's Canadian comics, right? So I, I will always pick that up and, and I'm happy to be part of it. I, I really, for some reason, maybe it's the fanboy in me, but I get quite excited about working on these Canadian pro- projects. Like uh, the Captain Connect stuff I was really happy about to be able to do. Um, even Aurora, man, like, I think that's awesome. We're creating another wave of Canadian heroes for, for young kids and people that, you know, who knows, in 10, 15 years, they might be part of our mainstream fabric of Canadian society, right? So happy to do a little bit of that. And it's pretty amazing that there is that universe building that's happening. Yeah. And like, that's Canadian cool. comics are stronger than they've ever been. They, so. sure, they sure seem to be. So yeah, it's good. Uh, to answer your original question, though, about where can people find me? I'm pretty much just Gibson Quarter across the, the landscape on, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. I have... <laughs> I have an old school blog that I still update that shows you how you mentioned being an older, older guy. Well, I, I love my blog and I made a commitment to try and hit it, like update it at least once a month with something. And for some reason, I just, I like it. I don't, it's, I'm not sure. Uh, it's not like, uh, you know, on, on Amazon's top 20 of web hits, but uh, I always put what I'm up to usually over there as well. So you can keep an eye on, on that. Too. Yeah, man. I, I love the blog because it's, it's the one place where I can find just what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I don't, I'm not, like it because my instagram is interspersed with you know other pictures of my dog or this amazing uh you know manhattan that i tried some funky bar um but yeah the blog is just my comic stuff it's almost like i almost keep it as like um an online resume as it were you know that's awesome yeah. cool and then it enables me to go what was i working on last year and kind of really keep track of my own projects and stuff and, and hype the stuff that I, i'm really excited about that's awesome well man it's it's been great talking to you i it's a totally different perspective we don't usually have somebody that works in Europe and has that <laughs> whole perspective. Plus, you got the raid thing going on. Ah, so. there you go. Oh yeah, the raid anthology coming out too. So keep an eye out for that. That's on the the raid website. Um, has all the details on that too. So you'll find a lot of information on the people that are at the studio, uh, what we got going on. So yeah, can check that out as well. That's awesome. All right, guys, Gibson Quarter, check him out. Uh, go to his website, uh, pick up his books, pay that shipping, and uh, get his stuff. Uh, yeah, and, and we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. Thanks. Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula at 6979 Young Street. They sell comics and games to bright and imaginative people like you. So go there for your comics fix and go there for their games nights that happen all week. Check harryt.com for the schedule and tell them Aaron sent you.